0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Pat Diamico, and we're going to talk a little bit about not only his Army tenure, we've we'll get another Army guy on the show, but also uh, how he's brought a lot of those leadership tactics and leadership development pieces into coaching and serving uh, across different industries. Before we begin, I want to remind you, this show is powered by Advancing the Line for Veterans, or also known as ATL Vets. If you know a veteran that is in need of a little bit of workforce development or entrepreneurial help, be sure to send them over to atlvets.org dot so they can find out more about us. Pat, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Zach, how are you? Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Man, I am so excited about this. You know, here recently I've had some non-army guys on the show. So uh, the fact that you're, you know, you know, we we gotta try to bring diverse me equal time. Difficult times, man. Difficult times, but. I want to tell the audience a little bit about you before we start chatting and, and like I mentioned obviously a US army and then you are also commissioned as an army officer so we have that we share that in common as well being on the, the officer side the dark side if you will but you've also spent over 25 years in industry from Fortune 500 and startups um, really functionally focusing on leadership roles sales commercial operations recruiting marketing learning and development and you you've now furthered that with about face development, your organization that really focuses on bringing that organizational leadership and management development to your client base, so that they can overall have a better culture and working environment. And I'm really excited to dive into your organization and about face development. But before we really start the business conversation and everything, I always love hearing what's something outside of your bio or outside of a normal piece of conversation. What's something fun that we might not know about you?
1: Oh, wow, that's a that's a good one. You know, just think about this last minute. You know, my, my, my wife always says that, that she knew we were meant for each other when we realized that we can have entire conversations that are, that are only movie quotes. I am a massive movie buff. So, it you know, could. and, and so, you know, and, and when you meet someone who's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a movie buff too with quotes, but I, I can go deep. So, so, All so, right, so a, we,
0: we have question. to know what's the most quoted in this household. It's
1: usually Step Brothers or Jim Carrey movie yeah for us it's probably the hangover which uh, oh, is yeah. just one of my favorites yeah yeah there's a lot of similarities to those guys and i have the same friends since we were 13 years old in fact yep. last week i went down to visit a couple of them but it's it's hard to believe it's been that many years so i'm, I'm fortunate there
0: that's awesome yeah gotta gotta love the hangover movies I actually <laughs> stayed went to thailand for a few weeks once upon a time and stayed at the hotel labelle where they filmed oh did you that one yeah yeah, so th- that it's actually a, a rooftop bar where they have the helicopter come up to it. Yeah, so I was of course making quotes while I was there. Nobody found it. Nobody so, got it. Yeah, yeah, the dumb American making dumb jokes, right? But <laughs> yeah, that's uh, all we're good
1: for sometimes <laughs> overseas.
0: Man, gotta love it. But I, I want to go back a little bit. Obviously, U.S. Army at seventeen. So you you started when you were supposed to, compared to me when I did it at twenty eight. Right. L- <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about. That decision, you know, I, I was one of those. You know, I didn't want to be stuck in an office. I became a police officer instead to start my career. But I didn't want to be in office. I wanted uh, more or less action and adventure, right? Yeah. What was your driving force for for service and uh, jumping into the the army and the, the military, but also the army specifically? You no. Know what? Wow. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, it was a pretty simple story. I was I was graduating from high school. I, I had a good time in high school. I, my grades were not fantastic by any means. So when, when my parents were like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to go to college, which they found somewhat amusing, right? Because they had no money and, and nobody was giving me a scholarship. So I was literally in the guidance office early in my senior year. And I was looking at the, the, the brochures from colleges and there was this very tiny section and it had all the service academies, VMI, the Citadel, we're all there. And I said, you know, I, that, that might be what I need. Interesting. At the time I was like, I think I need discipline. My father was surprised. My father had, had not come from a military background. He was, he was the national guard, which back in the day, he, you know, his national guard, he did not consider service. It was very different. You know, the first sergeant was his brother, his platoon sergeant was his other brother. So, was, you know, very different circumstance, but it, it wasn't as much, I realized later, it wasn't as much the discipline. I was just, I was looking for something that was going to be exciting that I could belong to And it just, in that moment, sort of clicked for me. So I, you know, started digging around, obviously I wasn't getting the service academy appointment, so I ended up applying for a four-year, uh, scholarship, college scholarship, which I did not get, but the army kind of came to me and said, look, we've got this program. This might work for you. Uh, Uh, Oh I (laughs) didn't, I did not know all the details they said, you know, if you enlist And you go to basic training, you can apply and potentially earn an early commissioning scholarship, which is ultimately what happened. But the part I missed was as my parents signed me off at 17 was, oh, if you don't get the scholarship, you're going on active duty Mm -hmm, as an enlisted soldier. So, so that was sort of my journey. I, I served a couple of years in the national guard as an enlisted soldier while I was going to Valley Forge military academy. and, And I ended up getting an early commission at the end of my sophomore year.
0: Nice. That's uh, yeah. the bait and switch, man. Those recruiters—they they get, uh, they ya, get ya. you, they know, get you Especially know, absolutely.
1: Especially when you don't come from a military family, you have no idea what you're getting into, right? There was, nobody gives you nobody, heads up. I had nobody to speak to. I, right. I had nobody close right. to me that knew the deal. You know, my my, my father's brother had been in the recruit and gotten kicked out for punching an officer. That was the extent of my my. knowledge like the Marines <laughs> military experience, right? Exactly. Yep. Man, it, it's funny. I, my mine was a little bit
0: different, and I went in probably just as. Not calling you ignorant by any means, but ignorant of the process. Right? Oh, yeah, totally. But you 100%. have no idea. So I joined at 28 and wrote into my contract basic training, officer school, and then infantry school. So the first 18 okay. months, I was like immediately into it all. I had no idea there were bonuses available, debt consolidation, like all this other nonsense. I went to recruiters and said, This is what I want. And they're like, Are you sure? I'm like, Yeah, right. Like, are, you, as in, like, are you sure there's okay.
1: nothing else? <laughs>
0: Oh, like, thanks guy. And then, yeah. Oh man. I hate those guys.
1: Yeah, they're recruiters. <laughs> they're like, they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. All right. but well, you know what though? Did you, did you ever have a recruiting assignment? No, I never did. Neither they, did I, and I'm yeah. thankful for it. You know, oh, no. I, I, that's not an assignment I want. Not at all. So and, and today I absolutely wouldn't want it. Oh, <laughs> heck no. Good luck. Good luck these days. So you,
0: you went into the military. What, what was your branch? What, what, or. I was in the military branch? police corps. Police oh yeah. god i'm glad i didn't make the comment i was gonna make about mps it's like recruiters and then mps the two oh,
1: worst <laughs> well to be fair <laughs> i only did i did about nine months in the on the law enforcement end i uh, all my time is in a combat mp unit which i really did enjoy but you know i sometimes i look back i i, I finished number one in my class i could have picked any any branch any bro and so and i mean I, you know, I have no regrets but maybe just a little but, Dude, what's funny is
0: I scored like 97th percentile on the ASVAP. Okay. I'm 28, right? So 10 years of experience, 10 years of education, had my bachelor's already. So I I graded really high and they're like, and you want to do infantry? Like, yeah. Any (laughs) job in the military, not just the army, any job in the military. Like you want to do army infantry? Like, yeah, it's a good. Oh, (laughs) Boys will be boys. Uh, Absolutely. You at least were 17. At 28, I should have known better. Right, right. You, you should have known better, baby. I
1: know. I, I was
0: thinking the same thing. And you were, you know, you
1: were cops, So, I mean, there had to be people to talk to. They all said
0: yeah. it was a great idea. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Jackasses.
0: Oh, man. But now Look you, at you now. Look at me now. <laughs> oh, all right. Moving on to brighter times. You took it. Yeah. You had a career in the army, and obviously, it made an impact, right? A lot of what it looks like you're you're working on is service-based, leadership-based, all these things that you're bringing into the civilian sector with uh, 25 years of experience. How did that kind of shape your trajectory and getting these leadership roles and the de- developmental roles?
1: Yeah, so I think that you know, Valley, I I always tell everybody, you know, Valley Forge Military Academy changed my life. I mean, it really did. I mean, I had had. A decent amount, actually, of leadership experience in high school, but you know, you get to Valley Forge, and obviously, your your first year, your plea, but because it's it's an accelerated program, you know, your second year, you are given the opportunity to compete for roles in in the organization, and there was only one. There were higher roles at Valley Forge, but the only role I wanted was I wanted to be the commander of the college company, which you know, to me, was was the pinnacle, and and that's what I achieved, and. The amount of leadership experience that I was able to absorb and, and just, you know, observe and, and trial and error at, at 18, you know, at 18 years old, essentially I, I got that role. And then I turned 19 a couple of days later. But the reality is that, you know, I had a, I had a company of about 140 people. I had a full staff. It it just, it, it accelerated my experience as a leader so quickly. And made me realize this this is really what jazzes me and fairly quickly after that this notion of helping others achieve their leadership potential was just what really got me going every day and and i'm really fortunate you know took me a while in my professional career although i most of my professional career almost all of it after i left the army was leadership and management roles But, you know, eventually I came around to where I am now, where I get to focus on really doing what I get the most, you know, enjoyment out of, which is helping others, uh, you know, become better leaders, develop their leadership ability. I, my, my mantra is every employee deserves a good manager. I mean, I really believe that. I mean, the number one people leave jobs always has been after the industrial revolution, their immediate manager. So every employee deserves a good manager. And I work with so many organizations at the beginning that are like, you know, we haven't had any leadership training. I did five interviews with a new client yesterday, or five interviews with, with people in this new client organization, and not a single one of them when I asked, when was the last time you had formal leadership and management training? I mean, one of the people I spoke to has over 20 years as a, as a leader, as a manager, and every one of them said never. And they've been in the corporate environment all these years. So it, it's pretty unbelievable how lacking it is in the corporate sector. Man, and it, it's fascinating to me because it was one of those, and probably
0: the greatest gift that law enforcement career ever gave me, I was one of those that needed some guidance. You give a, a gun and a badge to a 21-year-old, you're MP, right? That's a lot of authority.
1: It's a lot and, of responsibility, authority, yeah.
0: So the the maturation, maturing process for me, part of that ended up leading me to the Dale Carnegie Academy here in Atlanta. Oh, okay. The police department sent me more or less as punishment, and I'm like, Whatever, I'll, I'll go and I'll just do my thing and I kind of was stubborn about it. But then in the first couple uh, sessions, the instructor like, called me out. She's like, If you don't want to be here, go home. I'm like, well, I don't have that option. She's like, I'll tell everybody, like, you're fine. I'll sign off on your whatever. I'll, I'll give you attendance credit or whatever, but go home if you don't want to be here. And I'm like, No, I'm about to be the best student you've ever had. Thankfully, I've always had that mindset of being challenged, right? Yeah. You tell me I can't fit into something or I can't do something you know, the entrepreneur role, tell me I can't and I can, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. that was probably the greatest gift that law enforcement gave me was Del Carnegie training. And then I actually went back and started teaching it with her the next session because I delved so far into it. But as I, I, as I moved into the military and started getting in those command climates and command climate, all those nonsense feedback polls. You know, one of the things I talked to the head of TRADOC, which I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, yeah. uh, training and indoctrination for the army, August through Fort Benning, I actually recorded a podcast, an interview with him, the head of it as a two-star general. And I was doing a, a research paper during career course. And I was working on my second book, The Legacy of Leadership. I'm like, you know, sir, what what's the value of external learning and, and leading? And, you know, would you, what do you think about John Maxwell, Dale Carnegie, all these great and his exact feedback was, you know, I don't see if the value in somebody that hasn't served teaching my troops how to lead. And I'm like, hang on now. These are time tested. So it sounds like the even in the Army, my experience, almost similar to what you're experiencing in the corporate world of not valuing external leadership, quote unquote, training or leadership development. How have you overcome that? Or is that something you just consistently see where people don't value it as
1: much as maybe you and I do? Well, you know what it is, it's, it's, it's actually the challenge, Zach, is, is not as much them not valuing it, uh, valuing it when, you know, on almost uh, the large majority of, of, of worthwhile surveys of, of senior executives in the corporate sector, in the private sector, all of them will say or place leadership and management development at the top of the list of things they need to do. It's also always at the top of the list of things they're not doing. And what I found over time is it's, it's actually, it's, it's, I can simplify it. When an organization hires somebody to do a job, they're always going to make sure they train that person to do that job. That's what they're going to do, right? I, I, you know, I work a lot in the medical industry because that's my background. So, you know, I would very comfortably say all medical companies do a good to great job of training their people on the products and procedures and all that, right? That they do. Leadership management development is to them more intangible. So the reality is they put it on the list, but it always tends to fall off when it comes to budget time, because there's this perception that you can't measure return on investment. Nor a lie, in right? No a why? right? Yeah, they, right, they can't. Now, yep. my argument is always, how do you measure, how do you first look at how well your managers are doing? Look at your undesirable turnover. That, that is the number right. one really indicator of the competency, in my opinion, the competency sure. of your leadership and management team. Right. If you are having undesirable turnover, you are losing people that you don't want to lose, that's a direct reflection of that immediate manager. I mean, in rare occasions it's it's a comp issue, but the reality is, and I can, you know, I can tell you, give you tons of data and anecdotal data to show that most individuals, money is a factor, but it's never even the top one or two, you know, influencing factors in somebody leaving a leaving a job. If if comp is anywhere in the realm, all right it's their immediate manager. So, so it goes by the wayside largely because they're, they don't view it as, as ability to, you know, see the return on investment. A lot of it is time. And that's a, a really big, you know, big issue. So, you know, I, I wrote an article about this a number of years ago where I looked at it and said, you know, in a 20 year career in, let's say the army as an officer and a 20 year career, you're going to spend somewhere around three years of that in some sort of developmental program, okay, not necessarily all leadership, but let's be honest, that's always kind of worked in there, right? Whether it's the war college, extended, or your advanced course, your basic course, you're going to spend three full years in what I would consider development programs. Well, here's the thing. On top of it being a total of three years, the large majority of those, almost all of them, you're not going to have a job at the same time, right? You're not sitting in a room worried about, I got this, this, and this. In a twenty-year career right. in a typical corporate organization, number one, you're you're never going to attend any development where you don't have a job that you got to manage, right. right? So, so that's why, like, Stress about days, the
0: emails piling up, all the right, under- on- you got calls
1: Go coming in, yep. you're dealing with business issues. That's why, you know, in, in my business, two days for a program is a sweet spot. Boy, you got to you got to really pull somebody's you know fingernails out. You know, in order to get them to three days, it's just sort of this mental block. But in a 20-year career in a corporate environment, you'll be lucky to get two months of development and, and all of that time is going to be while you have a job. So it, it's very different that way. And it needs to be a greater focus because when organizations do do it, they see an immediate return. And it's incredible to me, even the simple things leaders don't quite get even if they've been around, I, I again I was doing these interviews this week. I did one yesterday, and one of the managers I was speaking to sort of gave me one of the challenges they were facing, and my response was, "Oh, yeah, you know, I, I get that. Well, what, what you need to, you know, I mean, my my approach to that is if I'm coaching somebody is normally this." And that person looked at me on Zoom and was like, "Wow, I, I never thought of that." And I, in my opinion, was as a pretty simple management and leadership, you know, task competency. So I'm starting it's I'm starting at square one with a lot of the organizations, but. It's convincing the senior leadership, here are the downstream impacts of this lack of, of competency, and you've got to, You've got to get behind that. And more today than ever, it's a retention tool, right? We've never seen sort of what we're seeing today in the job market where employees want to know, what sort of development are you going to provide me yeah. in this role? We didn't have that question. When I was running recruiting at J&J 20 years ago, 25 years if a candidate had said to me, hey, what kind of development are you going to yep. give me? I, I'd probably be like, you know, are you kidding me? You should be happy just to be sitting here interviewing with us. <laughs> I, you've got to be prepared to answer a question. It's pretty uncomfortable. And it's like, well, we don't really have anything formal. So you, you see it everywhere. And I've worked for huge companies. And, you know, when I was at J&J, at Johnson & Johnson, they do a tremendous job of leadership development. But I was with another large company where I was floored that there was almost nothing. So it's not and- uncommon.
0: No. And it's really interesting to me because especially the millennial generation, I'm right in the middle of the millennial generation. It's something for me, uh, even working with clients now, when I'm doing fractional COO or business development work with clients, there's always I always have the question of where are we going past this? Whether or not our contract together stays past the six-month or 12-month engagement, where are we going past this? How can I leverage for you beyond this scope? And how are you going to leverage for me beyond... Because for entrepreneurs, it really turns into that next client, right? What's that next referral? What's that next large organization that's going to bring you in? So that that ancillary benefit, right? Of yep. what else are we going to do besides just money? And I, I love that piece of it. And, and there are a couple of quotes as you were talking that came to mind that I, I I'm sure have been said numerous times, but you think about it, like Henry Ford said it, you know, the only thing worse than training your employees and them leaving is not training them and staying. Right. And Richard Branson's a big piece, you know, train them well enough to leave and then to leave your organization well enough to not want to, right? And that goes into that whole conversation about shifting into the organizational philosophy, the culture. Yes, leadership development's a piece of this. How do you help enhance that retention metric when you, when you start talking to some of the upper level leaders with your clients, are you, are you really emphasizing that with them of like, Hey we're going to give them this training. They not only deserve it, it's going to help you retain them, but these are the other steps you need to work on to retain them beyond this one metric.
1: Yeah. Yes. That's a great question that I'm not usually asked. And, and yes. And, and here's the thing I often say, you know, although I live in hundred percent commission, so I hate turning business down. You know, I don't do events when someone comes to us and says, Hey, I've got, we've got this meeting coming up. Can you come in and do four hours? I usually gracefully decline because when I start a discussion with a potential client, you know, it is that leadership and management development is a never-ending journey. It has to be a continuous process. And I will very often early in the discussion, which people are surprised, I'll say, you know, let's talk about what's a realistic commitment of time for your people, right, for your leaders to commit to a program. And they usually are shocked and they go, well, we don't want to start there. We need to start with what do we need to do? And I'll say, look, I, I know that that's kind of out of left field, but the reality is if it's not manageable, it's going to fail. And this needs to be long-term. So my leadership and management development programs are really customized to what's realistic for the organization. What do they need? But how do we make it sustainable? So, and, and I think that this this tool that we're using today I you know, and and I have a master's in education and instructional design, so I develop a lot of content. And I have to tell you that the advances that occurred in this technology, like Zoom and Teams from over the pandemic, I think took us 10 years from where we were. Because one of the biggest challenges we have in in this space, right, of training and developing people in a formal program is we do a live program. How do you keep it top of mind, right? So I might come to a degree with an organization, we say, okay, we're going to do one live session every quarter. That's pretty standard, one to two days with the leadership team. But what are we doing in between? And in the past, it was really difficult to do follow-up, to do reinforcement. We've really realized that this is a great venue for that. And for people who are familiar with, with the training space, 10, 15 years ago, e-learning was all the rage, right? Everybody wanted to do asynchronous training, which was, I can do it any time. It's just me absorb it as I want. It's I'm easier, such right? A,
0: and management wise from like the company, it's easier
1: potentially percent. You know, just send and right.
0: go, right? Right.
1: I am seeing a massive shift away from asynchronous to synchronous learning because of these platforms. So I put a plan in place that sort of is manageable, right? So it might be, okay, we're going to do a two-day program. And then between this one and the next one, there's a handful of videos. We're going to sign, you know, each month they're going to commit 20 minutes to watching videos and we're going to do one zoom call. So I'm always trying to develop what is a long-term program that has multiple touches, but is also, it's got to be manageable. The programs that I've seen where you're overwhelming people, you know, you're doing too much immediately fail. And then, and then it completely goes away because people say, well, we didn't have the time. So that, that's always my biggest concern when folks who are, I, you know, organization will say, I don't think that's enough time. And I'll say, no, trust me, it's going to be enough because it's sustainable. Mm. And what you're thinking is not sustainable. So.
0: Man, I, I love that piece of it because I think that emphasizing that's important. And the way to. you broke down the the training we went through, I mean, again, I went through 18, almost two years, 18 months, almost two years worth of straight training where they ever give you a soldier to you're responsible for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a great point there. And, and you wrote an article a while back that I think is really fascinating. Some of my favorite leaders throughout time are philosophical. I, I did a lot of meditations and the book meditations and several other books. Of course, they escape me, but there are several, several things I've read about how ancient leaders, Greek, Roman leaders, were all philosophers. And some of the best pieces of leadership can actually point to the existential thinking that comes along with being philosophical, right? Mm -hmm. And you wrote an article that highlighted the Pygmalion. Yeah, I was curious which article, yeah, the the story of Pygmalion. So, and I'll give a highlight to the audience. If you're not familiar with it, I can't pronounce the heck out of it. Again, from the South, we can't pronounce anything proper, but essentially, essentially outlines the effect of a psychological phenomenon, which high expectations lead to improved performance, In a given area and low expectations lead to worse. Simply said, if you have high expectations of your team, even if they don't meet those expectations, the performance is still going to improve. Comparatively, if you walk into an organization or uh, you transition into an organization, become a leader, get promoted, whatever it is, and you already have a low expectation of your team, you have a low expectation of employees, then they may meet that expectation. It's never going to go above that expectation because you're essentially limiting it yourself as the leader is how I translate that. Can yeah. you break that down a little bit about, obviously the article was a great one that I read through it and I love how you've highlighted that, but can you break that down for the audience of what that impact is like in an organization, if they may be kind of suffering
1: from that more or less? Yeah. So, and, and there's some data I think, or, or, or that I, 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 talked about in the article, but you know, one of the, one of the most interesting ones that starts out is, is they gave teachers different types of students, right? they, they, they had, I think, I think I don't recall, I think it was four teachers, and they told two of them, you know, you're getting the C and D students, all right, so just know that. And then the other two, they said, you're getting the A and B students. And then they tracked their performance over, over the semester, and the net results out were they performed as the teachers expected they would, right? The teachers who had the A and B students, they performed as A and B students. The teachers that had C and D students performed as C and D students. The caveat was that, of course, right, the cat out of the bag, the students were evenly split. Every one of the teachers had A, B, C, and D students. And so the, the lesson from this is the leader's perception and what they portray regarding the ability for the team to succeed and achieve absolutely becomes realized. So leaders do not always fully understand how their belief in their people can drive their success. And I think it's not hard if we think about it individually, right? So when I'm, when I'm facilitating this for leaders, I'll say, you know, let's take it back and think about yourself. Think about a job or a role you had where you were apprehensive about that role, but you had an amazing supportive leader and you actually succeeded. So the lesson to the leaders is, you know, never underestimate how your expectation of the team actually becomes a manifestation of their actual performance. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. There, there's other data. They've done it in the private, you know, there's some, some they've done some in the private sector, but you know, the when you get people to really think for themselves personally and think back and go, okay, yeah, I remember having this job. I didn't think I was going to be very good at it. It was very apprehensive. I had this amazing leader. They didn't do the job for me, but they really encouraged me. And I realized that. And I see it all the time with individual employees. And I've been in the industry a long time. And so I know a lot of people. And I, when when somebody comes to me and they're like, oh, I have this this boss who's absolutely amazing. And I've worked with that person. I'm like, yeah, you're, you know, you're going to excel because they believe in you and they're going to project that belief in you. So it's it's really interesting, but this, the Pygmalion story is is something that's been carried because it's this it's the original Pygmalion story was Pygmalion was a sculptor, and every day he wished that his sculpture would come come alive, and it eventually it did. It's that that power of just wanting to succeed and wanting to believe. And how terrifying of a
0: thought is this, right? Because it's subconscious, psychological, and if you're not self-aware enough to know you're projecting those expectations on somebody because at the end of the day the teacher the, the D student teacher probably thought they were doing a great job but you also have to think subconsciously you're probably limiting what you're teaching or what you're empowering because you don't want to overburden the individual oh well they're not just challenging
1: same. them you're not challenging them as much as they can they can produce yeah
0: and and i think that's a really terrifying but fascinating thought at the same time because it is one of those I love that you actually quoted uh, Dodgeball in your article, talking about the average Joe's <laughs> gyms versus the the Cobra. Is like, first off, great movie, and you do lead to obviously being that quote king from the movie. So yeah, I didn't well, remember I that. There. we were
1: going to make that connection. That's awesome.
0: But no, I, I thought that's a really fascinating article and definitely something for leaders to keep in mind. And I think entrepreneurs are are unique in many ways, and successful entrepreneurs even more so. Where we love that challenge, we love that aspect of put low expectations on me. Sh- I'll show you how I'm going to exceed those expectations. But the majority of the world is not like that. I think the military veterans. I think we get a benefit of right because we're we're literally shoved face in the dirt, literally. Yeah, and then told don't get up or this is going to happen, but get up and go run. Right So you're almost like trained to like break that mold and develop critical thinking, which is I, I believe what basic training is really focused on, is breaking you apart to redevelop you in that capacity, which is a gift that we're given, but you don't see that in the corporate world. You don't see that in the civilian world.
1: Yeah, well, you know, a, a colleague of mine, and I, I, I'll quote him, but I, I don't know if he got it from somewhere else. you know he's very fond of saying, you know with, without adversity, there is no win. And, and very often I remember that and think about that and realize that there's a lot of people walking around who don't realize that, right? The reality is that it's through adversity. If if there were no adversity, then there is no win means, you know, if I'm not challenged, if I'm not striving for something, what am I really achieving? And without that achievement, how am I really feeling on a day-to-day basis? You know, and, 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 you know, adversity comes in all areas of our life, right? It comes in business. It comes in personal you know, it, it's those experiences that help us grow. Not to say that there are plenty of experiences, I'm sure, you know, you and I and the listeners would say, I'd rather not have had that. Yeah. But my challenge would always be, yeah, but at the same time, think back on what did it teach you? Because there's no question, right? Brain science has absolutely proved, especially the, the research over the last 15 to 20 years, that we learn far more from our mistakes yep. than we do from from our successes, right? We will do more to avoid pain than to gain pleasure. So we we are learning more and we are more engaged when we are challenged and experiencing pain. That's where growth comes from, right? So without that, you know, I, why are we here?
0: And, and that's just the baselines of physiology, right? You go to the gym, you tear your muscles apart to build them. Yep. And, you know, th- this leans toward, and I wholeheartedly disagree with his mindset, but this leans toward David Goggins, his mindset towards things, you know, I, I agree with it to an extent in the military, you know, combat zone, everything he says, perfect. Yeah. In the civilian world, we might be a little bit
1: too strict on the whole just man uh, up and blah, 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 blah nonsense. There's no question. Yeah, Goggins is, is an animal, right? I mean, you got to respect what he achieved. But, 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 but that line is, is, is just going to be lost on the average human yep. being, the average American. Because there's a time and place to apply that logic. And there is. don't and, live and it's, daily it's like that. Min, it's pretty small, and he's right. trying to apply it to a broader right. audience. Yeah. Right. So, I, I yeah. So,
0: I, I love that, man. I love that you bring philosophy into it. When I released my book, my first book, it was actually released first in philosophy mythology because I was in that oh, period no reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a number one new release in philosophy mythology because I was reading all those books. Yeah. Right? And I have them behind me. I know I do on, on this bookshelf, but it's all about meditations and, and thinking through the existential piece of it. And I love that. External curiosity that doesn't die with entrepreneurship and helping uh, leadership all those aspects, and uh, I'm curious as you've developed these concepts and as you've really molded your teaching capability and leading capability to then pass it on to clients, what's the legacy you want to leave in the world by helping shape that leadership development with with corporate culture
1: well, you know when prior to doing this for a living, you know if you'd have asked me you know, as an employee, as a, as a leader, you know, in an organization, what was most important, what, what, you know, you'd ask me that question. I would have said, I, I, you know, when people, if people say, you know, he was the best leader I ever had, he wasn't the easiest on me. And maybe some would say he was the toughest on me, but he's the best leader. I've, and it, and it's that it's hearing that earlier in my career from people that really made me feel, I, I, I wanna give other people, like I am, I couldn't be happier. There's no more prouder moment than hearing that. I wanna give other people the opportunity to have that same experience, right? I wanna leave a legacy of people who, you know, some people would say, well, I want people that worked for me to achieve more than I do." Of course, you know, I have had that happen and that's wonderful. But I want people to leave their time with me saying, you know, this made, this made me a better leader, a better manager, for my employees, because at the end of the day, as leaders, our, our success is 100% predicated on the success of the individuals on our team. I mean, I tell people this all the time, right? I've seen leaders that are very self-focused over the years, you know, and and some can make it work for a little while, but very few can make it work, you know, a long time or at the higher levels. Those things sort of come out, but that's really my legacy if I leave one is I learned to be a better leader of people, so that my my employees could succeed. That's really my goal. And I, I love that. And it sounds like obviously you're
0: well on your way in establishing that with uh, everything you're doing about face development, everything you're bringing into the corporate world. If people want to join you, I know you're going to come back this Friday for tactics of obviously this is an engaging conversation. How do we do it? Right. That's going to be yeah, the um, best Friday. way to
1: reach me is, is on my website aboutfacedevelopment.com. That's, uh, that's the simplest, or you know people can, can gladly email me at, at pat, P-A-T, at dev. Dot com.
0: Love it. I definitely encourage everybody reach out to Pat. Come back this Friday for Tactical Friday. We're going to talk even more. And then I know you're, you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well, right? You have a good bit of art. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I have a, a heavy focus on LinkedIn. So, you know, absolutely. I, my background, but also testimonials and, and things there and, and links to most of my, my articles as well.
0: Love it. Awesome. Pat, you're the man. I appreciate this conversation. Look forward to chatting Friday. Zach, it was great,
1: man. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.